Welcome to the Relationship as Medicine podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Lee, outdoor adventure enthusiast, dog mom to Luna, world traveler, longtime meditator, espresso lover, and a trained somatic psychotherapist, trauma specialist, and certified coach. Talking about trauma doesn't have to be so daunting. From a connected place, we can navigate anything together. Looking forward to exploring with you today. Here we go. Welcome, 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 Sharon Jamison. I am really honored to have you here today and introduce you to this lovely audience. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for your time. Well, I am glad to be here and thank you so much for the opportunity to share space with you. So, uh, and also to share some thoughts with your audience. So I'm really grateful. Me too. I met you just briefly in a shared group for entrepreneurs that we should all be millionaires group that I adore. And uh, we have shared a little bit of space talking about trauma. And I know that you work with corporations and that you have your own journey around what led you to working with trauma and corporations and helping people really find their purpose and passion as they're going through a journey themselves. And I'd love to just hear more about what you do, how you got there, and where you are in the world. Sure, sure. Thank you so much for that. I started my work um, because I wanted to create something that I needed that didn't exist. I was born in the 60s. Uh, I was part of that generation that integrated schools and experienced a lot of personal trauma around being the first or the only. And not just emotional, spiritual trauma, but also physical trauma. To give people a perspective, um, just trigger warning, um, in kindergarten, um, I moved too quickly and the teacher took a chair and hit me in my head because she thought I was attacking her because that's what she had learned was that brown and black little girls were violent. And so on um, a year later, I was on the monkey bars playing in the playground by myself and the kids swung me off and knocked me off the monkey bars and cracked my skull. Um, By the third grade, um, I was pushed down the steps um, because how dare I be at this school to learn? I think I was in a third grade at that time and I thought somebody had, I fell down. I thought somebody had, had thrown water on my head, but it was my blood. Mm-hmm. Where my head had cracked. And so so before the fifth grade, I endured a lot of physical trauma and emotional trauma caused by just not having psychological safety and knowing how that felt in my body and how that affected my ability to concentrate and learn. And back then we didn't have names for it. We didn't have we didn't we didn't understand that trauma is something that happens to children, but also because in the African American culture, so, so much trauma had been normalized around integration and so normalized around what it meant to be a brown woman in America, nobody really thought of anything. They told me to toughen up. And so um, not out of anger, but that is what we knew in the 60s and early 70s. And um what I didn't understand, Shelby, is that I 
started functioning in a way uh, with a lot of armor just just to survive. And I continued that type of uh, trauma um, till I uh, finished high school and to college. So it was some trauma around um, education, trauma around being the only. But then uh, there was also some trauma around church because my father was a minister and I'm also a minister. But how they taught faith was very traumatizing. Mm. It was that I was not enough, that God existed in the sky and that God will, will strike me down if I did something that was wrong. And, and of course, all the wrongs were determined by men. So I didn't like the patriarchy and um, always seeing that women were not uh, dignified or are, are honored in a way for the amazing human beings that we are. So there was a lot of re- religious trauma based on feeling shame because of my body, because of my race, because of my gender, feeling as if I need to subjugate myself. So there was a lot of trauma even before I got to corporate America. And I did not know how to process the trauma because, again, when things are normal, even though they they are painful, you don't understand that they need to be addressed. And so that's how my journey started. And it let me know that I wanted to provide something that I needed that didn't exist back then. Absolutely. You created something that you wanted for yourself. And just sitting here with you as you're sharing that, I noticed in my own body, rage, grief, uh, fear, more rage. And that when you said needing to toughen up, I felt my whole body kind of contract and personally as a sensitive person. And I have to imagine you must be too. <laughs> Having to have that happen just is so not okay. And yeah, yeah. The courage it's must take. A, yeah. And, and the courage it must take. And it's also the, 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 the dismantling and the unlearning that has to happen. And you have to do that in community. In a, in a community that has not normalized that behavior. So that's something that I think is important that sometimes the community that you're raised and reared in, sometimes it's not the community that can provide the support, that they can give you coping skills and teach you resilience. But if you only have ideas based on what you are, are exposed to, and if you're not exposed to a different way of being or exposed to what support looks like or or are exposed to ways that that people can uh, support you in dignity affirming ways. It's not that the company, it's not that the the community does not want to support you, but people can only give you what they have been exposed to Mm -hmm. in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Dignity. I love this word. I wonder if you could say more about what that means for you and what that looks like in community. Yeah. Um, to me, dignity affirming ways, a dignity affirming behavior is a way of noticing and honoring that a person is a human being, that they have the same or similar needs, the same needs to to love and support and safety, the same needs to matter, to have meaning, to have purpose. It's making sure that we don't engage with people in any ways that are degrading based on physical attributes, but also those invisible attributes that we don't see um, to make sure that we honor people uh, throughout the full spectrum 
of all the ways that we are wonderfully diverse. And anytime that we don't honor and celebrate and recognize the full spectrum of someone's diversity, um, I think that we 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 have to be careful because then we start elevating our way, our diversity, our way of existing in the world more than we honor someone else's way. And then, then that's when we start uh, be, being very judgmental and we set the stage for de- dignity depleting behavior. And so I think I'm always want to make sure that I am honoring people and honoring their way and honoring all the many ways that they navigate in the world that are different than mine and know that my way is not better than the, their way. My way is just my way. And to me, that's dignity affirming. When you recognize that something has value, even if it's even if, if it's something that you wouldn't vote for, that's really critical. Mm-hmm. Oh, full body goosebumps. Yes. And you said something really telling right before that where you said something like people will treat you how they have experienced life or something like that. And I'm thinking, well, how many people don't have that sense of dignity from the trauma they've experienced and the ways they've had to cope and how this gets perpetuated within community, right? Yeah, it gets perpetuated. And and sometimes I would say it gets promoted. Perpetuate to me is like I pass it on without thinking. Promoted means that I think this is the way and I am going to willfully and strategically um, undermine you. I am willfully, strategically going to make sure I have more power, more money, more prevalence, that I am celebrated as more worthy than you. So I think sometimes I separate, perpetuate, and promote (laughs) because promotes to me is so intentional. It's so willful. It's so strategic. And sometimes we perpetuate something. To me, is when you you're aware, but not as aware to 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 take corrective action. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I separate it. And I don't know if that's the right way to separate it, but that's how I really distinguish. With um, because I always think about what is the motive, what is the intention. Yeah, and intentionality is everything to me. Me too. Oh, yes. Oh, I could talk about dignity all day and I'm sure we'll <clears throat> weave that back in. I know that a big piece of your work, or I'd love to understand more, is connected to corporations and to supporting people uh, who have been in that community and culture. Is that right? Yeah, you have it right, Shelby. What we know is that company cultures are just re- are just reflective of the universal culture that we live in, right? We don't, we don't, we we might edit ourselves a little bit to to be in a corporate setting, but the values are still there if the values have not been challenged or changed, right? Our people have not been transformed or awakened. And so, what we find is that some of the toxicity that we all swim in, right? Um, that if you swim in toxicity for so long, afterwards the toxicity swims in us. And we take that toxicity into corporations and we promote and perpetuate the same ways of functioning that are destructive in our culture into our companies. And we 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 start having this hierarchy of human value because we see it in our culture. We do it in our companies. We have this we we start to advantage people based on their 
their gender, their sexual orientation, their ability, their neural, their neural status, their, um, their ability to be extroverted or introverted. You know, so we've developed this hierarchy and these prototypes of what leadership looks like, who's a good leader. And what happens is we, we use our, our measuring stick. Uh, and our measuring stick is based on some of the um, our, our cultural conditionings that taught us not to be fair. Because I always tell people we might be taught to be kind, but we're not taught to be fair. And so what happens is we have to be taught to be fair and unlearn some of the conditioning and the messages that we perpetuated or promoted because we didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And so I think those are the things that I try to do in the in in the corporate space. And it's interesting, Shelby. I started to do that a lot of work in corporate trauma because I'm also a minister, and I realized that people were coming to the altar for prayer because of three things: sickness, sadness, and sabotage. Mm. And the sickness and the sadness many times were caused by the sabotage. Because our bodies respond to sabotage and being undermined. And many of those women were in corporate uh, organizational settings. And I said, wait a minute, we have something here. Because I, I don't think people understand that everything is spiritual. Or some people say everything is energy, right? And it doesn't matter what it is. You know, it's still that same energy. But that, that feeling of being minimized and undermined and micro. Um, invalidates all those things based on a person's sex or ability or sexual orientation or gender expression, whatever it is, it was showing up at, uh, as sickness in the body, um, sleeplessness, hair loss, all the things that we see that really give us some indication that there's some unresolved trauma, it was showing up at the altar. And I said, wait a minute, I have to merge the spiritual with the political, with the professional, with the emotional, with the with the um, the social, because all of those converge into who we are. And so that's how I started merging my work uh, in ways that are relevant to the people that seek me out. Mm. And this just is so deeply meaningful listening to you. I feel tears of gratitude and watching mm. your hands as you're talking is so much fun because you really, there's a dance here that you're talking about that is so nuanced so that so many people don't even think to look at everything between social, community, spiritual work, personal, all of those things. And the way that you expressed it with your arms, it just felt like this whole system to be looking at instead of the sickness itself, right? Right, right. And because I think that when we try to compartmentalize our lives, we're already forfeiting wholeness, right? If compartmentalized, chopping things up, you already are forfeiting for forfeiting wholeness. So my goal is how can we stay whole? And what does wholeness mean? And and how can we become more whole? Because sometimes many of my clients will say, I don't know what's going on. I just feel off. Something feels awry. Or I just feel a deep sadness. Or I feel empty. So, so those are the words I get. Or I feel um, I dread Monday. Uh, are though, and so I try to understand, you know, what's the root, and sometimes it's not one root, there are many roots, 
is and the, the root uh, I I like to call it our planet in barren soil, our our dirt because dirt and soil are very different things. And so my my goal is to try to understand where the contamination is, so we can pluck it out or or move the plant, which we are plants, so that we can bloom, so that we have the nurturing and the emotional sunlight and the watering and all the things we need so that we can bloom fully and unapologetically. And that's why I think it's so important to address people as whole and wholesome, holistic beings and not just try to hit this little piece because we all know if our body is sick, our relationships are going to uh, have an impact. Our spiritual life is going to have an impact. Our emotional life is going to impact. You know, I always tell people, you know, uh, the, the mind can shut the body down. The soul can shut the body down. Just like depression. I've been depressed. And yeah, because I was so depressed, my body could not move. Everything is connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. With the chronic illness, it was connected to spirituals, connected to relationships, connected to past trauma history. And you can't just go at one of the roots. It's all of them together. <laughs> Yeah, I am just smiling listening to you because I mean, you're so energizing as you're talking. And I think it's a really, and we might run in different circles, but unfortunate that we don't hear so much about corporations and folks working in corporations tending to trauma. It seems like to me, kind of a monster you just don't you don't challenge, you don't challenge the status quo, the norms. And I get so many requests for trauma-informed care trainings and corporations and organizations and hear more and more that leaders are paying attention to the mental health of the people there and that the mental health is worse than it's ever been right now post-pandemic. And as you were talking about the wholeness and blooming, uh, I just felt this power come through this aliveness and Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you might speak to how we might get from here to here you know how do you support people or even yourself to go from living within the culture of corporate life to challenging those norms to blooming or whatever else it might look like yeah what a great question thank you so much for that I use four basic tenets for everything that I do. One, the first tenet is education. And that means helping people understand what the difference between self and system. Because if you don't, if you don't know the difference between this is who you are, but this is the toxicity that, that uh, is the system, they will think that they're not performing because of their competence versus the culture. And so I'm really clear on helping people um, really distinguish and discern this is your core, this is your conditioning, this is your essence, this is your environment. And, and we have to start there because if people don't understand what they are born with versus what they are sitting in, they can't start healing. We got to help people understand the difference. And some of that difference is also helping people understand history. I think sometimes we we don't understand that we got here and how and we got here and there were there were choices our reasons why we are here and and we have to unlearn we have to dismantle we have to decolonize so we can understand that who am I 
outside of what society taught me that I was. Right. And my, my goal is always to help people understand that they're more than what they've been taught and told. And so that's education is a part of that. And the education, we we deal with everything from political, history, um, spiritual, because remember, re- religion t- teaches us to, especially women um, and people of color, that we're nothing based on how you were taught religion. Right. We, t- we say that God is uh, he who says that. I don't believe that. You know, I believe that God. God is so God that God is beyond gender, right? So I do a lot of work around education to help people understand who are you and who and and how can you uh, define yourself based on your own understanding, right? And based on your own purpose. Second thing, I do a lot of, of what I call activation. And Shelby, the activation really deals with cleansing. There's the trauma. Cleansing is also the community. Do we know how to choose and select people who are good for us? Mm. Do we know how to be in connection and healthy community with people? Some people have never seen it. Do you know because do you know how to keep your power and establish boundaries without feeling guilty? That's community. The third thing we do at our activation is calling. Now there's your purpose. When you recognize that you were created. Um, and, and specifically designed to do something in the world that only you can do. It gives you a little bit of gravitas. It gives you a little bit of like, understanding. It makes you proud of yourself. So we have to do the education. Then we have the activation. And the next thing I talk about elevation. Now, elevation is how do I understand who I am now so I can transcend a lot of the myths and the narratives that that are always tucking and pull me back to who I used to be. Elevation is about how can I make sure I feed myself what I want? Because remember, we are what we eat physically and emotionally. So how do I make sure I am structuring my life and uh, and making sure I am uh, uh, dissecting and, and relearning and unlearning all at the same time to make sure I elevate myself every, over everything I've been taught and told. Because remember, to get rerooted means that you have to, to, to leave outgrown identities. And it's hard. Sometimes we have to elevate ourselves over so much conditioning. And then if we do that, um, the fourth thing is liberation. How can I liberate myself and liberate myself so I can love differently? based on what I've loved before, whatever that means, and co-create healthy relationships. How can I lead? Because I think we all are leaders in in different ways and with different levels of power, but we all all have power. How do I lead in a way that is trauma-informed, that is dignity-affirming, and that is human-centered? So I'm all about how how do I love, how do I lead, and then how do I continue to live? Because being who you are called to be is a discipline because the pull, the gravitational pull of peer pressure and the gravitational pull of societal norms and myths and all the polarization that we see in the world is always pulling you. So sometimes you have to be rooted in and make yourself decide daily. I am going to follow my purpose. I'm going to live my vision. I am going to be open to my truth. I'm going to trust myself. And I'm also going to lean into peace, lean into joy, 
lean to pleasure. And that is a liberated way to live in a society that tries to uh, tries to make us be robots and to work all the time and to work a certain way and to believe a certain way. And so that's those four tenets are in everything that I do. Um, and that's and that's how I try to provide um, a, a framework uh, or just a path. I don't have the I don't have the way I have a way. But the way is to letting people make their own way based on who they say they are and who they want to be. Mm, yes, so much. Yes, to every single word here. Again, I'm smiling. And there's when you've said when you do what only you are just are designed to do. It gives you a little gravitas. I just felt myself expand and get solid and want that for every single person. And uh, there's something you say on your website about you are more powerful than you know. And I could feel that power in you describing that. Yeah. I think we're more powerful than we know. And, and sometimes we have to grow into that power. There's a saying, I can't think of who said it, but it says that this God or the universe gives us a crown and gives us the opportunity to grow in, up to it. Mm. And I think that is a powerful thing. So I'm always knowing that this I'm stronger than what I know. I'm smarter than what I know. I'm more empathetic than what I know. I'm more liberated than I know. I know that now I just got to grow up to to meet my crown and that's how I think about it and that growth to meet the crown sometimes is trauma-induced growth um, or trauma-informed growth and so um, I'm always trying to ask myself to grow because my prayer is shall be I pray this God show me who I was before society told me who I was not and that is my my prayer. My prayer is help me be who I, I am called to be and give me the courage to be it and do it. And that is what I want to do, because I know you, me, all of us were many people are not living out their calling, not even touching their a sliver of their greatness and potential, because some, it's sometimes it's a lack of clarity, but many times it's a lack of courage. And so that's my prayer. Give me the courage and give me new courage every day. Because sometimes I think I run out of courage by the end of the day. Give me a, a, a re, um, resupply, you know, fill me back up so that I can do what I've been called to do. Mm. I would love to borrow those prayers if you're open to that. I have a feeling everybody listening could be supported by just such a clear statement, right? A clear prayer. And I hear you by the end of the day, sometimes you really need it. And, you know, as you were talking about, especially the liberation piece, this uh, incredible possibility of freedom, when we are in our power, we're in our genius, and we're supported. I was thinking, you know, so many of my clients and myself, especially with complex PTSD, it can get a little scary getting moving towards liberation. It can really hit a lot of those layers of armor that have kept us coping, kept us in our communities, kept us in the systems of uh, whatever has been 
really helping us survive. <laughs> and I was so curious in those moments, how do you tend to them and yourself and others when, yeah, liberation sounds amazing, but also we're so designed to survive within culture, within community, within corporations. Oh, what a great question. My personal goal and something that I try to do is to move from coping to hoping. Because hope to me is a part of faith. And I was taught that faith has feet. That means faith takes action. So one of the things I try to do when I rub up against my, my boundaries, our, our, old, our old insecurity, our old fear, is I, I, I talk to my fear. I talk to the insecurity. Because I feel like sometimes our emotions have wisdom, there are wisdom in our wounds. And we have to extract the wisdom from our wounds so that we can see what we need to see when we need to see it. So I always know that there, the wisdom that I need is somewhere inside of me. Now I might need help to get it out, right? So that's one thing, that, that's one of the things. I always know that I have the wisdom to do it. Secondly, I always make sure that I don't walk alone. I think in our culture, we have elevated this, you know, this long ranger mentality, this sense of individualism, which is not helpful. Nobody does life alone well. And no, and so I, I always enlist support and, and I and make sure that I don't limit myself to the types of support I need. Sometimes I need spiritual support. Sometimes I need physical support. Sometimes I need help with my business. You know, I need help with, um, emotionalism, you know, I, I, I need somebody to help me process. So I had to get to a point to realize I'm worthy of support. I'm worthy of the same level of support that I give to people. And so I don't try to journey through life by myself. The third thing I realize, um, I don't expect it to be easy. I don't, I don't have this um, sitcom cotton candy way of existing in the world. That after 30 minutes, when the show is over, it's over. Some some of our trauma, we're going to face over and over and over again until we heal. And sometimes we we heal and then we understand there's a different dimension of it, a different layer of it, a different level of it, that we need new skills. And um, so I never feel that it's going to be easy, but I do feel I will be at ease. And that's very, very different. And the reason why I will be at ease, because I know there's wisdom. I know that I'm equipped. I know I pick people to support me. I pay for people to support me. So I know it's, and, and, and since I'm not expecting, um, you know, tiptoeing tip through the proverbial tulips, I allow myself to know this is going to hurt. Just like surgery. You know, you break your leg. You know, sometimes you have to get cut to be cured. So I know that the, they might have to go in and reset my leg and I have to do rehab. So I don't, and, and I think because I'm in a pharmaceutical industry, I, I, I don't have this 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 um, abbreviated understanding of healing. So I think that helps between the spiritual and being in the um, in the pharmaceutical industry for almost for almost what, 37 years. I see health. I see I see healing from a physical way in medicines and chemotherapies and all the things that I have done in my life. So I have a very different view of, of the, the healing journey. 
And I know that your body will never heal without the mind. The mind will never heal without the body. Um, we never heal well in isolation. We need community. And um, so that's why I tell people, we, you know, to move from hope to hope is a different mindset. And the hope is that I, I will make it through and that I'm, that I'm divinely supported. And if I'm not divinely supported, I might have to thank the divine that gives me money to invest in my support. So that's still divinely supported, you know. So I just think it's a mindset. And that's what I help people do. And I realize, Shelby, when people know that they don't have to walk a journey alone, they're more willing to go into the dark spaces. Yes, it's so key for healing, that connection, that co-regulation experience. And I was, you know, I really can tell that you absolutely believe that it's possible for the people that you work with to be liberated. And I am just imagining what it's like to be with you on that journey, to feel believed in, to have someone hold that hope with you, to have someone so curious and interested in you finding your particular unique genius and path. And there just is something in being celebrated even when it's not easy and seen and validated with someone next to you. And I love that you bring in this piece of, I cannot do it alone. We don't do it alone because that I'm hoping that rugged adventurer mentality is going by the wayside, especially in therapeutic environments. I find the connection to be invaluable to the healing. So thank you for naming that. Oh, my pleasure. Something I want to name too is how, how, we have to think about healing. When you think about, for example, cancer, right? Um, you have the doc, you have your, your oncologist, you have your radiationist, radi- radiologist, you have your social worker, you have your nutritionist, you have your nurse practitioners, you you have your rehab, you have your surgeon. There is a team to support your wellness. And I'm glad that I'm seeing that we're moving toward that team mentality with mental health. It takes a team and, and the team has to be on one accord. And what I mean by that is that they don't have to, they have to, to be, they can have different approaches, but it has to be the same philosophy. And the philosophy is that Sharon needs to be well in a way that empowers her, not in the way that I learned in the book. And I think that is something that it's really critical when you work with um, different um, populations that a lot of the work um, 10 years ago was done in really in white America, right? And and so now we have to say, what does this mean in brown and black communities and in indigenous communities that are, we're asking in them to heal in the midst of still being assaulted and in, in the midst of racism and homophobia and, and all of the ways that society uh, um, devalues people. That's a different type of therapist. And if a therapist can hold space to say, I want you to heal, even though I know you're going to keep getting hit, um, you have to have that skill to help. And there are ways to do that um, are to help people understand and frame it so that they can walk through it. I remember when I went to therapy, um, gosh, years ago after college, my therapist did not understand that it was not a mindset thing. This is my reality. I'm the only brown person in this corporation and I am getting um, 
uh, oppressed and microaggressed and, and invalidated as a woman, as a African-American, and because I'm young, right? Ageism. And, and so she could not hold space for the parts of me that she did not understand. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I always and that's why I think some people who go to trauma in, informed therapists are healers. They're the, they you have to ask how trauma. What do you know about trauma informed, and how does it show up in in different cultures? Because sometimes people think the, they don't understand. Like a, it's not a personality issue; it's a culture issue because of protection. So how do I understand if I have an indigenous woman? Who, um, who, who, who has experienced erasure and invalidation her entire life and still are doing it and still have to look at cartoons that made her life and her family a caricature and then, and then say, oh, it's just a mindset thing. Absolutely not. Our, our, our bodies hold the trauma and, and our, bodies, our bodies not only hold the trauma, sometimes it hoards the trauma. Mm-hmm. And and so that's why if pe- when people say they are trauma informed, I'm like, do you know what that means? As, as well as in corporations, you know, all of us are dealing with pandemics and COVID and hybrid and instability and death and mourning and violence and all the things that are happening. It's going to affect how you perform at your job. It's going to perfect, uh, affect how you collaborate. You got a, a, a trauma informed leader has to say, wait a minute, this is a vocal market. And that's, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, and there's a lot of ambiguity, a vocal market. So what does that mean? And if you pile on all the, all the polarization that's happening and all of the racial reckoning that's happening, of course, a person is not performing at a higher at the highest level like they were two years ago. So that's why it's really important to think about all those aspects and dimensions of trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love throughout this whole conversation, you have really marked that people need to heal in the way that works for them, that honors their identities, their current past future experience and not only what's happening right now, but what their body is carrying. And, mm-hmm. oh, I just feel so relieved with this wisdom, you know, that people are getting to hear this because it's not, trauma-informed care is not a one-size-fits-all. It's not one thing you say or do all the time with everyone. It's, you know, you your values, you listed and your bio were around liberation, integrity, justice, and empathy. And you named, you know, human-centered care, dignity-centered care, being trauma-informed. It's all of this. And being educated, aware, and always learning around diversity, equity, and inclusion. We can't separate any of these things when we're trauma-informed. And the way you deliver it is just so powerful. Thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful to be here with you. And I would just want people to think about, just like we know we are what we eat physically, we are what we eat emotionally and, and, and spiritually. So if we know that, what are we putting in our minds and our hearts and spirits so that we can get and stay rooted as a healer doing this work? And as a healer, how can we know when we need to step away and get rest and rejuvenated and re-energized? That is the part 
that is so important for people who do this work. When it when do you know that you need to step away? And do you know the difference between rest and restoration? They're very different. And when people can do that um, well, um, I think we can do we can do and support other people on their journey. And then know as a healer, sometimes we don't do that well. My friends have to tell me, Sharon, you know what? You, you, I think it's time. You're getting snappy. You're getting irritable. Uh, you're getting very forceful. You're starting to bulldoze people. All the ways that it shows up, right? That I might not know because I'm in it. And so that's why you need to have a journey to heal. But as a healer, you still need, um, so you need to have a community to heal. But as a healer, however, that shows up, minister, therapist, psycholo- you know, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever you are, because we all are healers in a different way. You still need to have someone to be a community to say, I think you need to go sit down somewhere for a while <laughs> because I love you. Because I love you. Mm-hmm. And rest is so anti-patriarchy, which is a whole nother episode we could do, I'm sure. Um, but I support it wholeheartedly and want it to be everybody's birthright. And it takes a lot to be able to get there. And so thank you for naming that. How can people find you? And what what people do you work with? What will they find when they find you? Sure. Um, everything is my name, Sharon Jamison. Everything is my name. Sharon has two R's. People think it's Sharon, but it's Sharon Jamison. Um, they can work with me in a couple of ways. Um, I have three major programs that I, I, well, four main programs that I do. I do my different times based on how I'm feeling, right? I don't have, that's how that, that, that uh, trauma-informed care is like, okay, this is enough of this, right? I have one is called Leadership Boutique, where I work with brown and black women, um, or women identifying folk, I'm sorry, and, and help them navigate some of the um, trauma, understand some of the trauma, some healing, whatever that needs to happen so that they can show up as their full self in the corporate setting or the organizational setting or the pulpit. So that's the Leadership Boutique. The, the second one is called I Dare to Be Me. And it is helping people grab that audacity and the courage to be who they are outside of societal shifts and outside of myths and stereotypes and all of the labeling that we did, that culture imposes on us. And it helps people um, dream again and live again in ways that uh, energize their souls. And that's a six-month six program. And that's for all people and all persuasions and all um, different types of orientations. I, I love that. And I love the mix because it allows people to engage with each other in dignity-affirming ways. And sometimes that's the first time people have been able to take off the armor and tell their full truth, not the diluted truth that we do in other parts of the world. And um, and so that's that program. The other one is Rooted to Rise, Journey Back Home to Yourself. And that is all about how can I come back home to myself? And how can I come back home to my dreams? And how can I have the courage to understand that sometimes liberation is lost as part of liberation. There's a cost to be you. And I don't think people realize that. It's a cost to pre- be you. And I want people to know that whatever the cost is, they have it inside of themselves to pay the price and to help them pay the price in ways that affirm their, their souls. And that's really important. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. 
This is beautiful. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, all the work you've done and are doing in the world and bringing it here. I know it's going to have such a big impact and I just appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me be here with you. Thank you so much for starting us off with breaths and for helping us get centered. And I just appreciate the work that you do in the world. And thank you so much for letting me hold space with you and have access to your audience. I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, we will end there and we'll end with three breaths just the way we started. Thank you so much for listening today. Before you go, if you loved the conversation, make sure you're subscribed or following, have your notifications turned on or alerts, and leave a five-star review so we can get the word out to anyone that this might be supportive or inspiring to. If you're a facilitator, coach, healer, therapist, or healthcare practitioner, stay connected with me over on Instagram at fierceheart.shelbyleigh, bringing you accessible online trauma awareness and trauma-informed trainings brings me so much joy. Looking forward to connecting with you as you join me in this worldwide revolution, supporting the folks who need it most.